Well, happy Monday, church family. This is uh, our new study as we get to Exodus chapter 13. Uh, this is going to be a very uh, interesting study because this acts kind of like an interlude, an intermission um, before we get to the parting of the Red Sea. You know, when we think about the term undisputed, uh, it usually is in reference to sports, right? Like we think Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, or um, Usain Bolt is the greatest track runner of all time. Uh, but when it comes to the last Olympics in particular, actually the last Olympics, 2016 was the last Olympic because we didn't have one in 2020. But uh, Michael Phelps was able to achieve what no man was able to achieve at the time. He was able to get 28 medals, I think gold medals, or 28 medals, but I think 23 of them are gold, making him the greatest Olympian of all time. By uh, you know, no one's ever able, no one's able to achieve such a success. Um, and he was able to do this this last race. I remember watching that Olympic; it was really cool because it was like, you know, it was like a four, it was like a relay race, and uh, he was able to uh, on his very last race. Actually, he really depended on three other people to get to help him get this gold medal, and then he was able to get it and uh, sealing him as the uh, greatest Olympian of all time. In a lot of ways, he's undisputed, but we understand that term only lasts until someone else comes close. Somewhere down the line, I'm sure, as time advances and skill and technology gets better, people could swim better, and then someone will become the next Michael Phelps or someone that will surpass him in the gold medals. And then that person will become undisputed. Um, but we can see how trivial that term is. Though that term seems very profound and powerful is actually not really lasting because there's always going to be someone that's going to take the place. But we understand when it comes to God, He truly is undisputed. Throughout the Bible, we see that He gets challenged by all these false gods and false prophets, and He's always found to be superior. He's always found to be the victor. Uh, therefore, no one, no other God comes close to the God of the Bible. And that's a lesson that I think the Israelites needed to learn here in chapter 13 before I guess chapter 13 and 14, um, to really show that God is the God that's worthy of trust and that they need to believe in him and not fear the Egyptians, but to fear God and God alone. So we're going to look at that in chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn, first, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both man and beast. It belongs to me. Again, this is a God's unique claim to the ownership of all the firstborns in uh, Israel. And it's very uh, fitting because uh, God spared the firstborn of the Israelites. Uh, the firstborn of the animals and the, and the people did not die. And God spared them because he, of, he gave them the Passover lamb. That was everything that they needed so that um, the, the, you know, the, the angel of death will not touch the sons of Israel. Verse 3, Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you, sent, you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery. For by a powerful hand Yahweh brought you out from this place, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. On this day in the month of Abib, you are about to go forth. It shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of Canaanite, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall observe this right in this month. So basically, God is telling them that there's going to be a celebration, and then when they celebrate, it's supposed to commemorate God's faithfulness to them. 
uh, and we again we talked about that last time when we were talking about the Passover. Like it's supposed to be God. Uh, it was really a means of grace by the Lord that He places all of these different things so that people can remember His faithfulness. Because we're so easily swayed and we're so and so we're so easily you know, forgetful when it comes to things of the Lord. But God institutes things so that people can always remember Him. Uh, verse 7, Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you and all your brothers. You shall tell your sons on that day, saying, It's because of what Yahweh did for me that I came out of Egypt, and it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand uh, Yahweh brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. This is something that's supposed to be a recurring thing that they remember, much like the reason why we have Christmas and Easter. It's supposed to be constant remembrance um, of the great event of salvation. And the same thing here. They're supposed to teach their children what happened uh, so that they can remember God's faithfulness. And what's interesting is that he's actually telling them that you need to remember the words of the miraculous things that they've seen. Um, so there's a sense in which God knows that what he, that he's going to stop doing supernatural means at some point. If you look at the totality of scripture, there aren't that many instances where there are supernatural events. Uh, but when they do happen, they're supposed to remember God's faithfulness and how he played out and delivered Israel from all the things that they had to go through. Verse 11, now when, the, when Yahweh brings you to the land of Canaanite and he swore to you, as he swore to you and your forefathers uh, and gives it to you, you shall devote the Lord, the first offspring of every womb and first offspring of every beast that you own. The male belongs to the Lord, but every first offspring of a donkey you shall, re you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its necks and every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him, With a powerful hand, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of the beast. So then this is why God wanted to keep all the first ones, the firstborns. Therefore I sacrifice to Yahweh the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So shall serve a sign on your forehead and your phylacteries on your forehead, a sign on your head and the phylacteries of your forehead. For with a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Yeah, this is all the stuff that's, uh, they ha they've seen God's power displayed with all ten of the, like, I guess, yeah, all the plagues and all the signs. But um, they're going to see more. They're going to see greater things. Um, and they're supposed to remember uh, not just those faithfulness and how you know, God delivered them from Egypt, but also things that is to come. And we see here in verse 17. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in uh, martial array from the land of Egypt. Now, this is actually something that I didn't really think about um, when I was, you know, in, like just before, like in general, before studying this. It's interesting that God 
and God told the Israelites, "Don't we're going to take a different route to Philistine, uh, to the land of Philistine, the Promised Land." And actually, Egypt and Philistine was actually not that far from each other. Um, but God told, said that if they went in, they're going to be so scared um, because again, the, the Israelites have not seen war; they're not trained soldiers. I mean, it would be like if the other the enemies had their swords, and what Israelites just had like their shepherding rods and sticks. You know, there's no way. And even if they had those things, they didn't. They wouldn't know how to use it in an effective way. And God wanted to show them that He is the true God. He wanted to fight for them, um, so He took them a different route, a, a, a seemingly more difficult route, a, a route that doesn't make any sense to them uh, and to any normal person. It's like, why would I take the longer route? And He does so because He wants them to not fear the Egyptians, but rather they want them to fear the Lord. In fact, God doesn't want them to fear anyone except the Lord himself. That's why if they see the Philistines, they might be afraid, but then he wanted to assure them by showing them something so great that they know, okay, I should just go to God. I don't need to worry about what's going to happen. Now, if you know the whole Old Testament, you know that they always forget. Human nature tends to forget the goodness of God whenever there's an opportunity especially when we're overcome by sin and doubt. That's when we forget that God is a powerful God and is undisputed. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. This is a reference to Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 to 26. Um, basically, it's almost like a prophecy saying that, like, uh, it's a, it a, it like a, a vow, of, um, a promise to all the descendants that if they leave, that they're going to take these bones with them. Now, I would imagine since Joseph was such a significant figure uh, that he must that he must have been like embalmed in a very unique way. I mean, Joseph was the one who delivered them from the plague, so it must mean that <coughs> excuse me, excuse me, that they, they gave him a, a very unique burial. So they took his bones out uh, with them. Verse 20, Then they set out from Sukkoth and camped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. Yahweh was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Verse 22, He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar by fire at night from before the people. This is God's way of saying that you just need to follow me. You've trusted me for so long. Uh, again, the Egyptian, all the plagues, it wasn't just like something that happened in a week. This is the span several months. And he's just telling them, look, just keep following me. Keep trusting me. This pillar of fire and this, uh, this cloud, they were all designed to um, show that God is watching over them. God is going to protect them. Um, and it's very supernatural too. Like, I think sometimes we only focus on like the plagues or some big thing, but this is a constant until like, later on when they kept their own temple and stuff. But this is an amazing thing to have a giant pillar of fire at night. Like I'm just trying to imagine the aesthetics of you just wa you're watching this from afar. You, you might not even see the people, but you'll see a pillar of fire if you're just looking at a distance. And you might, and it doesn't burn out. You know, there's nothing else. Is like it doesn't burn out. That means it's like, it's almost like the fire in the burning bush. It's just something that just keeps consuming. And then in the daytime, it's this cloud. It could be like no cloud in the sky except for the one cloud that's leading all of these people, that's providing shade and comfort to these like you know two million Jews walking in the wilderness. 
And yet this is supposed to be a testimony to the world that Yahweh is the one true God. And first, even before the world knows it, that he wanted to make sure that his people know to learn to trust him. So this week, we're going to look at two aspects of um, our relationship with the Lord that should give us encouragement. And the first is that we belong to God. And on, uh, so we're going to look at that on Wednesday and on Friday, that we'll be protected by God. And I hope that if we, as we go through these two lessons, these two points lessons, that it will give us assurance during this life now where we always want certainty from the things of the world and look at news and all these forecasts and things and COVID stuff and everything just doesn't seem right. But that's not our calling. We just need to follow the Lord the way that the Israelites are called to follow Yahweh as well. I hope that this lesson will be encouraging and equip and will help you in your faith as you continue to walk faithfully with the Lord. Take care and have a good day.